Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Well, thanks everyone for listening this week to this week's podcast, yes. Richard. It's nice to sit down and do another one of these with you. It's fun to do this, Sam. I enjoy yeah. doing it with you. Yeah, so far it's it's been great, and um, we're continuing this week in a little mini mini series um, of the experiencing God, the seven realities of experiencing God. Yeah. Um, as we've mentioned, the, the last one of these that we did, that's sort of what. Blackaby is most well known for mm-hmm. is uh, the that book. and our good looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two things. I mean, they're neck and neck. It's hard to say which one yeah, they're known made more. Us more famous. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so the last one we looked at reality one, which mm-hmm. was uh, God is always at work around you. Mm-hmm. Very profound. Yeah. Uh, uh, just reality principle of life. And and this week we're looking at reality two, which is God continue pursues a continuous love relationship. With you. Right. That is real and personal. That is real and personal. So tell us, how does this uh, relate to leadership? Well, uh, yeah, when you first think of just a a love relationship, uh, you could think, uh, well, that doesn't have much to do. That's pretty soft, you know, for the kind of leadership that I do day by day. But, um, you know, it's interesting that, uh, and I'm, I'm around leaders all the time. I'm on airplanes with leaders. I'm in airport lounges with leaders. Uh, I'm having dinner with leaders. And uh, a lot of them can be pretty tough customers. They deal with a lot of hard issues, difficult crises, and uh, they're no no nonsense kind of yeah, people at times. Yeah, have to cut through the uh, And so the you muck. think, well, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you. What is that? That's pretty, that's namby-pamby here stuff, you know, not... <laughs> what leaders deal with, but uh, a couple things to say about that. Uh, one is I've, I've been around a lot of insecure leaders. Uh, it, it's almost epidemic how insecure a lot of leaders are. And if you boil it down so often, the reason they're insecure is that they, they feel like they've got something to prove or they mm. feel inadequate. And uh, oftentimes for men, especially, it's because they had a father that was not affirming, was not loving, was not accepting. Yeah. They had a father that no matter how well the child performed, the father always demanded more. Uh, they had fathers who never said, I love you. Uh, they never felt loved by their, their, their father, never felt adequate. And so they go through all their own adult life trying to prove to this father who might have died by then that they were worthy of being loved. And I'll tell you, I've seen that so often, uh, leaders that oftentimes it, it causes them to be very boastful and, and you wonder why is that guy blowing his own horn all the time? Well, it's because he's got an inner need to be viewed and accepted as a person of worth. He, he didn't get that coming out of his home. Uh, so he's trying to get it from people around him now. And of course, no amount of psychophants telling you how great you are can take the place of a loving father who gave you confidence and, and, and assurance of his love and approval of you as you were growing up. And so what I found is, and of course, 
some of us, you, you may have had a father figure that was like that in your life, and there's just no, it's never going to change for you. It, you're a grown adult now, your, your father may have died, and it's always going to be that way in your life. And so you're not going to get that from parents. There are some parents who just are so dysfunctional themselves that there's just no way that they're ever going to be able to give you that kind of unconditional love that people need. And uh, But you can get it from God. And God, your heavenly Father, the, the God who created you, designed you in the first place, loves you uh, infinitely. He loves you unconditionally. He uh, believes in you. He knows what you you can be. And even when you fail, he still loves you. And that when when you get your mind around that and you mm. realize how infinitely loved you are by the single greatest person in existence that that just blows you away or it should and yeah that should give you enormous confidence to know that even when you mess up even when you make mistakes even when you fall short at the end of the day this god still believes in you and loves you and is ready to help lift you back up and help you have a better day tomorrow uh, and uh, that, and so that's important. When I see insecure leaders who feel uh, inadequate or who feel discouraged, no one cares about them. They've got no one to turn to. Their friends have uh, abandoned them. They feel lonely. Uh, to know that this God is continually pursuing them has huge implications uh, for leaders. And uh, and I, you know what I've I, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I shared last time that uh, the first reality may be the most influential, impactful uh, reality that uh, came from experiencing God. But uh, this re- this reality, we have heard many, many people say that it just profoundly changed their Christian life. Because many people would say, you know, I, I was, I've been a Christian for years, but I always viewed Christianity as basically uh, a lifestyle of going to church on Sundays, yeah. of trying to be a good person, trying to follow the Ten Commandments, trying to help people. Um, but I but I never saw it as actually relating to a person hmm. that loved me. I just saw it as attending church services, uh, putting money in the offering plate, and then assuming that when I died, I'd go to heaven. And finally, I would, I would uh, relate in some kind of personal way to God in heaven. But in this life, I can't tell you how many people have said, no one ever told me that I could relate to God in a personal way now, that he was a person who loved me, who wanted to spend time with me. And, uh, and so, for instance, I've known a lot of people that would say, well, I, I want to have a quiet time. I know that that's important. You're supposed to do that. But what that really meant was that they would, maybe if they've got to go to work, uh, they'd get up early in the morning and they'd do their Bible reading, and they would say their prayers. And I hear people a lot of times saying, well, I, I want to discipline myself. I, I want to have spiritual disciplines of, of having a quiet time. Hmm. And of course, that always uh, kind of strikes you. I mean, in one sense, y- you should have order to your life. You should, uh, you, discipline in itself is not necessarily wrong. But uh, as my dad would often say, if you said that, if you're a man and you said that to your wife, I'm going to discipline myself. 
uh, to spend time with you, uh, whether I want to or not, whether I enjoy it or not. If it's just like eating oatmeal, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> you, you probably are going to, your marriage is probably headed for some turbulence. <laughs> yeah. Because the fact is that if you love somebody with all your heart, you're going to want to spend time with them. You're not going to have to force yourself to do that. You're not going to have to discipline yourself. Uh, now, certainly, if you want to organize yourself and say, okay, because I love you so much, honey, I'm going to, uh, I want to schedule every Friday night to have a, a date night with you, and I'm not going to put anything else on my calendar so that you and I can always have time together. Well, th- that's okay. That's disciplining yeah. yourself because you do love somebody. But oftentimes, we're disciplining ourselves because love by itself isn't enough. Our love for God isn't enough to mm. get us up early in the morning. Uh, so we, we just know it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to set my alarm. And even though I'd far prefer just to sleep for another 30 minutes, I'm going to get up because I just know that that's the discipline I need to, to, to keep. And and so we get up and we we sort of robotically read a chapter from the Bible or we read our devotional book. We uh, sort of say our prayers we're not in a conversation with a person that loves us. We're just sort of reciting our prayers and then we go about our day. And, and so when people took experience in God, one of the things they said is I had no idea that it was about loving a person that I got up in the morning because I I was, there was the, the person who loved me more than anybody was already there prepared to meet with me and just spend time with me. And of course, one of the, my favorite verses, uh, in the Bible is uh, Psalm 1611. And the psalmist is, is talking about being in the presence of God. And he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Yeah. A lot of, lot of Christians would, would not say that. They would say, in God's presence is a boring church service. In God's presence yeah. is a boring quiet time routine where even though I get nothing out of it, I still faithfully do my Bible reading and say my prayers, and then I get about my day. Uh, but for someone to truly say and mean it, every time I am consciously aware of being in God's presence, I experience fullness of joy. Well, I'll tell you what, if every time you're going to have a quiet time, you're going to experience perfect joy, you're not going to have to you know, set your alarm and then force yourself to get out of bed to go spend time with perfect joy, uh, you, you're going to probably wake up before your alarm goes off, just excited about being there. And so I would, uh, I think this study and this reality, uh, it, it had a profound effect on many people who realized, no, it's about a relationship with a person that loves me. And every time I draw near to him, he draws near to me and, and I experience joy. And I've seen that, uh, for instance, I'm, dad tells a story in Experiencing God where uh, when he was a pastor, he was working with uh, uh, the church to uh, take some steps uh, that God was leading them to make. And there was one uh, man in the church that just got really agitated, was just really upset. And he just didn't think we should do certain things. And when people didn't go along with him, when they, they didn't agree with him, he got so upset that he, he just angrily announced that... Uh, he was going. To, he was resigning from all of his offices, positions in the church, and he was not going to serve in the church in any capacity if that's the way the church was going to be. And then he angrily got up and stormed out of the building. And my dad, very quietly and I think wisely, said, "Well, you've 
heard his motion. He made a motion to be relieved of all of his offices. Do we have a second? <laughs> and they proceeded to uh, remove him of all of his positions. And, and certainly after having made a scene like that, he was uh, in need of uh, receiving more than he was in a need of serving at the time. But then my dad went and met with him later in the week after the guy had calmed down a bit. And uh, and the guy was feeling a little sheepish about it and that he'd blown up that way and had gotten so angry. Yeah. But uh, my dad, uh, I think just prompted by the Holy Spirit, asked the man an interesting question. He said, tell me about your father. What was your father like? And uh, I found that that question often opens up uh, a, a can of worms. Yeah. And this uh, man said, well... Uh, of course, his father was unloving. His father, he could never satisfy his father, never win his approval. And so uh, my dad then said, well, let me ask you another question. Um, can you say with absolute honesty that you love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength? Which, of course, is the, the first and foremost commandment. When uh, people ask Jesus, out of all the Old Testament, out of all the scriptures, what is, how would you boil it all down and say, this is what God wants more than anything else? And of course, that's what Jesus said. What God wants more than anything else is for you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So my dad asked him, that's what Jesus said was the most important thing. Can you say that with all honesty, that that's how you feel? And after a moment of reflection, the man said, well, I fear God. Uh, I respect God, I serve God, I believe in God, I give to God, but he said, I, I don't know that I can say I actually love him. Hmm. And um, that was a profound moment for the man. And as my dad unpacked that with him, he realized, well, because you didn't have a father, that you, you feared your father, you respected your father, but you didn't love him because you didn't feel like he loved you. And... Uh, and it was like the veil was lifted from this man. And he realized that so much of the anger that he had, and every time someone didn't approve of him, someone didn't agree with him, uh, was just once again, just you know, agitating the wound where he was never good enough, never won the respect of his father. And now people were not showing respect to him by agreeing with him either, not following his lead. And it just always aggravated those deep wounds and caused him to be angry. And, mm. uh, and, and so I, I've just seen time and time again with people that are trying to lead that oftentimes if you find a leader that's insecure, a leader that gets uh, angry or easily offended, uh, that, that bristles when people share a different opinion or don't agree with them, then uh, oftentimes there's a, there's an issue in their walk with God and their understanding of just how accepted and loved they are in God's eyes. Uh, you know, if, if you know that the God of the universe loves you with an infinite love, who cares what other people think? Who cares if people agree with you or not? You've got God. God's on your, God's with you. He, he mm. loves you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, finding out that you've just inherited a massive fortune. Yeah. And then, and then in the next breath, someone says, oh, by the way, did you know that this colleague that works uh, with you said something unkind about you the other day? <laughs> it's like, well, who cares? You know? yeah. Who cares? I, I've, I've just 
won an inheritance from uh, that will completely change how I live my life and face life. Well, when you know that you are loved by the king and the king would do anything for you uh, and loves you infinitely and, and delights every time you walk into his presence, just, I mean, a smile lights up his face every time you come into the room and say you want to spend time with him. Uh, would it really matter whether other people were treating you respectfully or not? Yeah. Whether they agreed with your ideas? Um, would it, it, it wouldn't matter. Uh, but if you don't feel love that way, if you, do, if you feel like all you've got is what other people give you, and the only re- self-respect you have is when other people uh, endorse your opinions and follow your lead, well, then you're going to always be vulnerable to, to every criticism, every question, every opposition. And you're going to just live a life that is so volatile. Uh, it could be up or down just based on how your day's going. And, but yet, knowing that you're infinitely loved by God, uh, then that allows you to have an incredible security yeah. and, and peace no matter what you face. Yeah. And uh, for leaders, that's, that's huge. Yeah, that's, that's very freeing. Yeah. Let's, let's take a quick break here, and then uh, we'll wrap up. Bob Royal and Richard Blackaby recently wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership Coaching. It integrates the life-changing biblical insights from experiencing God with training in 12 essential coaching skills that will enhance your ability to have transformational conversations. Use the promo code PODCAST at checkout to receive an additional 10% off the book at blackabystore.org. Richard, it seems like when a leader finds their their love uh, from God and that they're loved by God, that that really, as we said before the break, that that brings freedom, that brings security, yeah. That uh, I think frees them to be a better leader. So, how have you seen this uh, this idea, this reality that we're talking about, play out in the world and in the lives of people? You know, it can be very, very practical. Uh, in fact, when my dad is, my dad wrote about this reality and experiencing God. He tells the story of when my sister. Uh, came down with a severe uh, case of cancer when she was just 16 years old. Mm. And here my dad is serving the Lord and, and giving his life full time to the, to God's uh, service. And then all of a sudden his teen, his teenage daughter is uh, going through chemo and suffering all the effects of that. And at that time, as my dad's trying to find some answers, how do you, how do you stay focused and how do you stay confident in serving God when, a, a child, your only daughter, is suffering that way. And for my dad, he just realized that, uh, uh, he, he said, he, he realized that on the cross, God answered the question once and for all, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Christ died on a cross for you. Yes, he died, he, he loves you. And, and so what my dad realized is, so whatever you face in life, you always have to view that with the cross in the background. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the backdrop of every other experience in your life is Jesus on the cross. And so if you lose your job, if your boss is being miserable to you, if you've faced a financial crisis, those realities are all true, but, but in the backdrop of those is Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so you don't measure, does God love me by how your finances are doing this year or you know whether you got that promotion or not. You, you, you measure God's love for you on the cross, and that is settled. That's permanent. 
Uh, otherwise, I've known people that they they were following God and serving Him, and then their child got sick, or maybe their child was killed in a terrible accident, or they lost their job, or or they they went through a divorce, and uh, and all of a sudden they're questioning God's love again. Well, how could God love me and let this happen? Well, the biggest test of all time was the cross, and and that test proved once and for all God loves you. So that if you can settle that then you're in a position to handle the disappointments and pain and, and problems that inevitably come to everybody. Um, there's a, also, I, I just would, would say uh, to folks, uh, it, it was interesting, there, there came a, a moment in, in uh, uh, it, well, as I've worked a lot with, uh, with CEOs and uh, business leaders, that when you talk about, uh, it's interesting because a lot of you know that I work uh, and teach uh, CEOs of some very large companies uh, in America and other parts of the world, and it's a three-year program. And uh, and so here these business guys uh, are coming in. Oftentimes they're flying in internationally. We had one uh, a great uh, CEO who, who came in from uh, Hong Kong every time to Dallas whenever we had a class. And so they're coming in and they're expecting high-level leadership teaching. But, you know, we spend the first full year just talking about uh, being called into a relationship with God. Mm. Uh, we, we talk a lot about abiding in Christ. And here's these movers and shakers. Their companies do over $100 million of business at least every year. And uh, they're coming in talking about what big things are we going to deal with, what great truths and concepts and leadership uh, skills are we going to work on. And then we say, well, we're going to spend a year talking about abiding in Christ. And it just kind of blows them away. It's like, well, yeah, that's that seems pretty soft. And yet, uh, in John 15, Jesus said, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." And what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples is, the most important thing you can ever learn to do is to abide in me, and just mm-hmm. to stay abiding. We abiding in Christ does not mean having a 20-minute quiet time each morning. Abiding in Christ means living each moment of the day in conscious awareness of Christ's presence in your life and staying so close to him like a, a branch would, would be connected to a vine. You, it's hard to do that. It's hard to get that close if you don't know that God loves you, that if you don't enjoy being that close to God. If, you, if you're feeling judged, if you're feeling condemned by God, it's hard to just abide closely with him all the time. But when you come to understand how much he loves you, it just becomes a natural thing to want to just get as close to him as you can be. And you start to miss not spending time with him. If you didn't have time to read your Bible, if you didn't have time just to talk with him in prayer, and and, and when you know that you're in a relationship, then you don't just say words to God, but you listen to God. You realize, I'm in a conversation here. And being in a conversation with Almighty God is mind-boggling. It's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, so when we work with business leaders, uh, that's an area that they're not really wired uh, to appreciate. They, it's about getting results, about making deals, making sales, uh, and to say, yeah, but I, I, to just abide in a person is just not something I've, I've, I've ever known how to do. I've never taught to do that. So what what would you tell someone who says, okay, yeah, I get that. Like that's, I want to do that. What's the first step for someone who, who maybe obviously is, uh, 
you know, believes the Bible and, and all the rest of these things, but, you know, maybe has never really sort of gotten this reality that, that God pursues this love relationship with them. Well, you know, as my dad would often say, you've got to move it from your head to your heart. Hmm. And so in your head, you know that God loves you. In your head, you know he proved his love for you on the cross. But in your heart, you still feel insecure. You still feel that God somehow, if, if, you, if you don't get that promotion, if you lose your job, if you're unemployed, suddenly you become worthless, hmm. uh, that you're a failure. And yet... If, if the God who created the universe loves you infinitely and enjoys spending time with you, how, how could you be a failure? Yeah. Uh, just because you're currently unemployed uh, or, you know, you, you're having trouble paying that bill right now. But uh, and so I would say you've got to move those theological concepts from your head to your heart where you you practice that. And abiding is not. Uh, a, a doctrine it's a practice you, mm. to, to abide in Christ means that you're you're doing something you're consciously aware of God's closeness to you uh, whether you're at work whether you're driving in traffic whatever it is you're doing in the day that you're you've learned to just be aware of God's presence in your life and not just his presence but his loving presence mm. yeah. uh, even as you're driving to work in traffic and someone just cuts you off but you're very much aware that God is present with you and he loves you and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Uh, he'll never be inadequate for you. He'll never be at a loss to know how to help you or provide for you. This perfect God who says, I'll always be with you, uh, means that, and, and I've, I've, I've found that abiding in Christ can mean waiting at an airport gate at some international city and uh, even though there's flight delays, even though you don't understand a lot what's going on, even though you're jet lagged, at any moment, anywhere in the world, you can be consciously aware of the fact that God loves you. And mm. even though life's not going the way you'd, you'd want, maybe you have a, a relationship with a person that you're struggling with right now. Uh, maybe you, you're, you're processing some bad news. But uh, you can still, even if everyone else has forsaken you, friends have let you down. Uh, knowing that God is still there with you, that in your spirit, at the deepest levels of your soul, you can be communing with him and he can be assuring you, don't give up. I've, uh, I'm still here with you. Uh, I'll work this through with you. This is not the end of the story. Uh, gives tremendous confidence and strength. And uh, it enables yeah. you to keep getting back up off the mat and saying, life uh, threw me a punch, knocked me out, off my feet. But I, but I heard that loving voice saying, get on back up. I'm going to help you. Uh, this isn't the end of the story. You, you, you don't know how this is all going to end yet, but I do. So trust me and let's keep going. I'll tell you what, for a leader, that gives incredible strength. As an, a an atheist doesn't have that. An atheist, it's, it's his own internal voice. Yeah. Uh, but with God, your creator, who knows the future, who created you, for him to, to say, I didn't just create you and set you off on your own. I created you, wired you, know the future, and I'm going to walk with you every moment throughout your life. Uh, that ought to give every Christian leader a tremendous amount of confidence, mm -hmm. and no matter what they face, uh, knowing that they never face it alone. Well, we hope this week our listeners will go forward in confidence, knowing yeah. the love of God. Yeah.
Well, Richard, as you know, we always love hearing from listeners and, and getting feedback, and but also answering questions yeah. that they have. We've got a question here from Clay, who is in Georgia. And uh, I'll give you. I'll just read a little bit of background to this and ask the question and see what you have to say. He says, "I've often heard the saying, the best evidence of a changed life is a changed life." I can think immediately of examples: being more charitable, both with uh, finances and also with your time, and generally having a more loving approach to strangers. But how does this play out in the secular workplace? How can one present evidence of a changed life? in the modern workplace? Well, uh, it's a great question. I think uh, in many ways, I would say, I <clears throat> I think it's very much the same. Uh, if your life's changed, it's going to be obvious whether it's in front of a non-Christian or a Christian. Uh, if you were a dow- dour, discouraged kind of person and God has just filled you with the joy of the Lord, non-Christians can recognize the joy of the Lord just like a, a Christian can. Yeah. Uh, if you used to be kind of critical, maybe you were lazy. Maybe you were in your workplace. You just kind of did the minimum. You just thought, why do any more than I have to? And then God just really touched your heart and you realized you were to do everything as unto the Lord. And you were not bringing glory to God by just minimal effort day after day. And you began just going the extra mile. I mean, people are going to notice that. You know, They're going to notice, yeah. well, why are you? Boy, you're, you, you seem to have a different attitude. You seem to be more energized, working harder. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, kindness, uh, whether, you know, non-Christians recognize kindness too, just like Christians do. And you all of a sudden you're being thoughtful of others. You're asking about how people are doing, how you, how's your child doing? I, didn't he just have surgery or you just bring a casserole over you, you, um, you give them a, a, a certificate so they can just order pizza because you heard that they just had a, you know, a hectic time that week. And they say, why are you doing this? Well, I just, I just really wanted to help. And, uh, I'll tell you what, people will notice that. And if you were the kind of person that was always uh, the, the complainer before, but now you're all of a sudden the optimistic one, uh, the one who finds what's positive, uh, that why in some ways in a non-Christian environment, that stands, stands out even more because yeah. it's often not, uh, what's normal. Uh, and so look at the fruit of the spirit, uh, all of those can be things that stand out to people and say, you didn't used to be like that. What, what's the change? Uh, what, what's going on? And uh, you'll have plenty of opportunities uh, for witness as a result because when people start noticing, and they will, and at first, they, of course, if they're not a Christian, they may not understand why. They may not figure out where this is coming from, but they'll be able to tell that something's different about you. And uh, you need to be ready to give an answer and let them know uh, why why your life has changed. And, you know, uh, great opportunities to say, you know, I've struggled for years with being a negative person. I, you know, I think for years I've just been way too self-centered and not thoughtful enough of others. And I'll just tell you what, as a Christian, God has just really convicted me of that. And, and I've asked him to change me and he, and he has. And I, I'm just so thrilled that you'd even notice that I'm not the same person. And by the way, that same God could change you if you ever just felt like uh, you needed changing as well. So that's one of the great ways, uh, I think, to be a witness in a secular environment is by a life that changes and becomes more and more like Christ. And you may not have been a jerk before, but I can tell you we can always be more like Jesus. And the more you become like Jesus, the more obvious it becomes that you're not the same person you used to be. And I pray that is so for all of our listeners. Yeah. Well, thanks, Clay, for sending in your question. We appreciate it. And uh, if any of you have questions, 
feel free to bring shoot, them us, on. shoot us an email, <laughs> podcast at blackaby.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackaby.org.